Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by a partnership between Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. What's up, JR? Hey, Doug. Good to see you. Happy fall. Happy fall to you. Have you pulled out your flannel masks yet? <laughs> <laughs> you know me. I love my flannel shirts, but uh, I, I'm just a like a basic mask guy. Basic like, mask. I, no frills. I just just do the just the I'm a functional guy. Functional I'm not really a fashionable guy, so I'm function over fashion. How about you? You got you got your flannel mask? Uh, I don't. I've actually been going with the buff, to be honest with you, because I'm such a buff guy. Um, but I, it's the, the buff. The buff. I'm, it's like I'm not. It's kind of like an infinity scarf that you just pull up and down over your face. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I use that too. It, I, I I thought that was called a gator. A gator. Dang. I'm yeah. I, I, in fact, when I ordered it, I typed in gator. That's what popped oh, up on interesting. On my, a buff? I thought you were a kid. I'm like, you're going out in the buff? No, dude, please. No, totally, no. Totally went there. I love that. Yeah. The buff. I've never heard of that. I learned something new on the MMP. It might be wow. called the Gator. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe it is a Gator. There, there's a company called Buff that makes okay, Gators, maybe, I guess, it. but I've just... Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always- yeah. Yeah, the, the actual like object is called a, a gator, gator, but the product may be Gator. Right. And I actually so. don't own any Buffs from Buff because you can't buy them anywhere because they're just like... <laughs> they're gone. Uh, but yeah, so I, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, we, we do what we can, you know, we do what we can. <laughs> Breaking news. Yeah. Doug goes out in the bus when everyone else wears the mask. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, but speaking of this, Doug, have you, okay. So I, this has been on, I've, I've seen this like on social media for the last couple of years. I've heard people talk about it, but have you ever heard of a TV miniseries or miniseries film miniseries i guess is what it's called called the chosen about the life of jesus i have heard of the chosen yes dude like and have you seen any episodes I saw one episode and i was in tears at the end <laughs> dude it's by the way let, let's just preface this by saying like you and i are not being paid <laughs> we, to talk we are about not the official chosen. sponsors of the chosen no yeah but uh, if if you've seen it and you're listening, you know exactly what we're talking about. If you haven't seen it, there is a TV miniseries. What is it like eight eight episodes maybe um, about the life of Jesus called The Chosen. Now I have to be I have to make a confession here, Doug. I my Christian cheese meter reads very hot, <laughs> very hot, and so you have a sensitive anything, Christian cheese meter. <laughs> Yes. And so anything that, that hits on the cheese meter, like it's almost repulsive for me. I, 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 it's one of those bless their hearts, right? They love God. They tried hard, but there was just the quality and the competency of it. It just, is very hard for me to swallow. It needs to be both, you know, and it's very hard to find both. And so I had several friends I trusted that said, oh, have you seen The Chosen? It's amazing. And I thought, uh, yeah, you know, Jesus movies, unfortunately, are, aren't the best quality right. most of the time. And so I was a little bit leery. Uh, cynical's too much. <laughs> Skeptical, maybe. But I was leery and I just didn't make it a high priority. And I don't know what it was, but I finally saw, I don't know, a Facebook ad or something popped up. And I just said, all right, I'll give it a try. One episode. Doug, I like... I would go to bed every night, like looking forward to going to bed to watch an episode on my iPad wow. in bed every night. Like it, I was in tears every single one. Wow. It was so riveting and overwhelming. And I think part of it is I've never seen something that humanized Jesus so much. Huh. It was just like, it, 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 there's, a, there's one of the, one of the episodes is when he's with children and it's about him interacting with kids. 
And to think, man, the way that kids were drawn to Jesus, Jesus better do things that make kids laugh and are engaging and come down to his level. And we just have never seen Jesus portrayed that way. And I so appreciated the way Jesus goofed off and made the kids laugh and made the kids want to spend more time with him, which was just awesome. The other thing is, um, I heard the, the, the director and producer, executive producer of it, Dallas Jenkins, who ironically happens to be Dallas or Jerry B. Jenkins son, uh, from the left behind series, which is kind of ironic, but, but, but Dallas Jenkins is the producer of this. And he said, you never, uh, you never see Jesus portrayed alone in movies, which is true. So it shows Jesus alone and how he would kind of interact uh, at sometimes. And also it, it actually followed characters and what they were like. So Nicodemus talked about Matthew, the tax collector, um, Mary Magdalene. And so just following their stories, kind of pre-story to lead up to then the biblical story. And it's just unbelievable. So I know we're gushing about it, but very few times have I been so excited about a Jesus film or films or, or media production. And it is, it's just unbelievable. Such a gift yeah. to to the church. I'm so grateful for and it. And I feel like that's one of the things that both you and I have loved so much about, you know, entering into our fifth season of Monday Morning Pastor is that the, the human bringing, bringing pastors to human levels, like allowing pastors to be people. Um, those stories just become so much more rich in our lives. And I feel like uh, it's funny. I, I was I was sitting with a woman a few weeks ago and she was talking about uh, the chosen and how that was the first time she could actually picture Jesus in a way that was, that was accessible for her. And I Mm. think there's something about when people see a person in, in, in the human form, it changes, it changes the narrative. It changes the story. It makes God accessible. And so, yeah, I think that's one of the things I've really appreciated about even just, uh, you know, the interview we're going to have today is it's, it's a, it's a story that just is, is riveting and engaging and, and you get to see behind the curtain of, you know, not just the, the stoic, you know, Jesus in these weird kind of B lower than B level movies. And then to see him in, in a place where it really brings them into a human being. I think that's just such a gift for, for those that are, that are present. Um, but yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm really looking forward to the interview today. Uh, I feel like this is, uh, just going to be one that, that will mark many of us. Yeah. You talk about the humanness and talk about stories and we're going to find both in this interview really enjoyed this conversation that we had. today is Patrick Schwenk. At age 43, Patrick received a shocking diagnosis, incurable cancer. Patrick was a husband, a father of four, an author, a pastor, and he and his wife Ruth had served in ministry their entire married life, over 20 years. But they suddenly felt disoriented, alone, and afraid. But instead of being staying there, they were changed by it. They write about in their book, a boat in a boat in the middle of a lake, trusting the God who meets us in our storm. The Schwanks are founders of two popular blogs for thefamily.org and thebettermom.com, as well as a podcast, Root Like Faith. They have written multiple books and are parents of four children. Patrick and Ruth believe one of the greatest ways God transforms his children is through trials. Their experience can help others trust God when skies grow dark. 
Pat and Ruth live in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Pat Schwank. Well, Pat, it's really good to have you here on the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys, thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to, to talking with you guys today. Yeah. And one of the things we were talking about before we recorded, which just made my heart swell, is that you're not only in Ann Arbor, but you're a Michigan fan. So go <laughs> blue. And it's always good to be with others who are uh, on the right side with Jesus. Here Absolutely. When- <laughs> I feel like it's conspiracy, JR. It's like everybody we've been getting on, it's like, oh, they're happy to be Michigan fans, too. <laughs> we're, not, we're not just fans. We're super fans. I, I, won't, I won't share all the all the intimate details of how much we're, we're really fans. But yes, so it's, it's good to be. Your oldest son's name is Harbaugh. It's just a clip. Right. <laughs> I have khakis on right now. You can't see them. But. <laughs> well, I know that, uh, you know, we're laughing here, but uh, so much of your story, at least over the last few years, has been marked by tragedy. And so I know you and your your wife, Ruth, have been married for, what, 22 years? I, yeah. I think I recently saw. And you've endured some really tough stretches in the midst of ministry. I know you've had some miscarriages and you were diagnosed with cancer at the age of 43. How did that diagnosis unfold and how did that impact your involvement in ministry? Yeah, so I, I was, um, you know, as we were we were talking earlier, you know, I was healthy. I was an athlete for, for all my life. And and was doing all the the things that you um, would think would keep you healthy. And, and so was eating right and exercising. So when I was diagnosed, I mean, it really kind of rocked our world for, for a variety of reasons. And so we had moved to Ann Arbor uh, in 2015, 2016 to start Refuge Church. And it wasn't long after that, that I I began to notice that that I was having some health issues, couldn't quite put my finger on it, um, started having heart issues that we know now were were likely connected to to the type of blood cancer I was diagnosed with. And so we launched uh, Refuge Church in April of 2017. And it was really about five months after that, that I was was diagnosed. We were at an after church kind of picnic, barbecue, and you know, all the guys were were in the pool and we were playing basketball and I was, you know, I'm over 40, so it doesn't take much for me to get injured. And so I collided. (laughs) heads with uh, with one of the guys and a couple days later uh, developed an ear infection and Mm. I found myself in the ER and was on round after round of antibiotics Mm. and it just wouldn't heal and so that was kind of the first clue that something was really wrong with my body and um, it was you know not long after that then in the fall I I injured my left hip uh, not once but but twice in in the span of about a week or two weeks and to the point where my, my left hip became so painful when I was trying to preach on Sunday mornings, I, I would have to sit. It was just too hard for me. My muscles were, were getting weak. And so I would sit and, and preach. Um, my leg was too painful to, to lift up on its own. And so that led me into the doctor and they did you know, x-rays and MRI. And that's when they found a, a lesion deep in my hip socket. Um, mm. in my pelvic bone area. And I remember just a couple days, it was like a week before Christmas. And the doctor called and said, Hey, we found a lesion in your MR in one of your MRIs and it could be something serious or it could be nothing at all. And, and he's, I'm like, well, that's a, you know, Merry Christmas. And that, that's a great, great, great news to get just before Christmas. So we had to wait, we had to go through that Christmas season waiting to get a follow-up MRI. They did it again. Um, lesion was still there, of course. And they sent me to a specialist at, at U of M and did lab work. And it was through that that they identified a type of blood cancer that, that typically only affects women over the age of 60, 65. So I'm, I'm neither, neither one of them. Uh, I was a perfectly healthy guy, I thought, um, at 43. And so that's how the diagnosis came about. 
And um, again, I remember we picked up our oldest son from school, he and his friend, and we were waiting for, for a phone call from the doctor. And they called when we were on our way home. So we had 15 minutes in the car. And I remember uh, looking for the only scrap piece of paper I could find. And I began to jot down a, a name of, of a word, you know, these two words, uh, multiple myeloma that, that I'd never heard of. Mm. And she finally stopped me and said, it's a type of blood cancer. And so that's, that's how we found out. Um, and that, mm. that day, um, it turned our world upside down, but in so many ways, it also transformed, transformed our lives in, in some really good and healthy ways. Mm-hmm. And you write about this in the book that you and Ruth have written in a boat in the middle of the lake. Talk a little bit about, uh, I, I'm, a, you know, the metaphor of course is a story from scripture, but talk about that using that story and sort of your own, uh, journey. How did those meld together? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the book is really based on Mark chapter four, like you were saying, and just that story of, of, you know, Mark four starts out with Jesus teaching by the lake. And then as he progresses, you know, he moves that lesson into the lake. And so it's really that story, you know, of course, there the, you know, the storm comes and is, is, um, you know, surrounding them and they begin to discover not only who they are, but more importantly, who Jesus is. And so the whole book is really based off of that, that idea, that, that story of just how so many times in life, God teaches us way more, you know, in the lake than he does by the lake. He teaches us much more in the midst of chaos than he does a classroom. And so um, that book is, is really about our personal story, you know, my treatment and battle with cancer, but also 20 years of ministry of just walking along other side of, you know, alongside other people who have suffered, you know, in different ways. You know, maybe they, they've lost, you know, marriage or loved one, experienced miscarriage, um, their parents who have a child that's dis- disabled. And so it's just full of our story, but also the stories of other people and just mm-hmm. how God does his greatest work in us, you know, when we're in the midst of storms and God, God is good and faithful in, in mm-hmm. those Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it, it's interesting. You you said it. You know, from a pastor, we have a real front row seat in many ways of watching people go through cancer diagnosis or go through miscarriages. Um, how was it different as a pastor to not just be the person that's walking with someone, but realize that like this is you that this is happening to at that moment? Like, what what emotional space was happening, and what was going on in your head and your heart? Yeah, well, a, cu- a couple things. I, you know, I think one of the one of the best pieces of advice that that somebody gave me shortly after I was diagnosed. I have two older sisters, and I remember calling each of them. And my my one sister said to me, "It didn't sound like encouragement at the time, but she said to me, all eyes are on you.'" And mm-hmm. I thought, man, that's like that's not what I need to hear right now. Like, <laughs> and it is the more I thought about that, the more she explained that. You know, her point was that you know for twenty years you've been a pastor and people have listened to you. And you've preached from God's word and you've counseled people. Um, but now people are going to be watching you and your kids are going to be watching you. You're, um, you know, those that you have shepherded, they're going to be watching you. And so that was one of the best pieces of advice where it's like, yeah, it's one thing to be in the counseling room. It's one thing to be um, at the pulpit or on the platform. It's a whole nother thing to now be in the midst of your storm, in the midst of chaos and, and to be leading people and, and knowing um, that, that we have this great responsibility to to suffer well and, and God can use that. And so that was, I think, a really difficult thing um, for me to get my mind and, and heart around. And I would just say that in some ways as pastors, we have it really good um, when we suffer, but we also have it really bad. And so what I mean by that is, you know, in some ways as a pastor, when you suffer, like you do so 
publicly and you're within your church and everybody's cheering you on and they rally around you. And, you know, the 80 year old that loses his wife comes in and out of our church or, you know, the 50 year old who, you know, is going through some kind of um, job loss and, and their suffering sometimes is much more hidden where ours is very public and it gets kind of cheered on sometimes by a lot more people. So from that sense, I think a lot of times as pastors, like our suffering is good in that way. Like we, we tend to have more people that rally around us and cheer us on and care for us. But in many ways, it's also far worse because we're the ones that have to get up and and say something meaningful every Sunday. And there were a lot of Sundays, um, especially those first five months as I was going through frontline treatment where I didn't want to get up and preach. I mean, I came back from being diagnosed and I was on chemotherapy and and, you know, weekly injections. And I was preaching most Sundays, you know, we were uh, trying to get this church started and off the ground. And as you guys know, church planning and ministry is hard enough when you're healthy, let alone when you're battling cancer. And so I felt an enormous amount of responsibility because of the calling that God had, had placed on my life and, and these folks that had moved up here from Ohio to help us plant. And so from an emotional standpoint, and just from a spiritual standpoint, I mean, I was running on empty. And it was challenging. You know, you're processing your own mortality. You're, you're, you don't know whether you're going to live six months or a year or three years. And all the while, you're, you're not only carrying your own suffering, but as a pastor, you're still carrying other people's suffering. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think from that standpoint, you know, we have it worse because we're, we're suffering with our own, but we're also in very, in very real ways carrying other people's sufferings. Um, and so there were a lot of those things, I think, just kind of going on in my head and my heart. And, and, um, and that's a dangerous place to stay. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about how, you know, in some ways it's easier, but in other ways it's, it's much more difficult as a pastor. I mean, everybody's talking about masks, right? The importance of wearing masks, but not all masks being worn are good, especially for pastors. And so I'm curious, what were the masks that you were tempted to wear Mm -hmm. to sort of project that like, I'm the strong one, or I've got to have this all together. I can't show any weakness or any doubt, or were there any, any masks you were tempted to, to wear or lies you were tempted to believe in that season? Yeah, I I think, you know, the, one of the verses I've thought a lot about lately is, is just that first, you know, be at where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, for theirs is the kingdom of God. In other words, blessed are those who know they can't fix their own problem, let alone everybody else's problems. And I think when you're in ministry, you, you kind of you might not ever say it that way, but you, but you carry um, a, a sense of of you use the word strength, and and you carry this. Like I've always been the one as a pastor who carried other people on their stretcher, and now I found myself on the stretcher. And so I think um, coming to that place where you go, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who, who are humble. They, they know their need. They know their weakness. They know they need Jesus, but they also need other people. They, they can't fix everything. They can't carry everybody's problems. And so I think as a pastor, that that's a really humbling thing to, to realize, to come to grips with that I'm 40. I, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm not 43 anymore, but I was 43 at the time. I'm supposed to be in the prime of my ministry. I'm supposed to be in the prime of my life. And I can't go out and shovel my driveway. My, you know, my 11 year old son, um, excuse me, he's shoveling the driveway and, and I'm sitting in my home office watching him. Mm. And that's humbling. You know, I can't get up and preach like I used to. Um, and so those things were, were very challenging. And I had to be very honest with our congregation in, in different ways and at different times to say, um, listen, I, I'm, you know, I'm weak, I'm, I'm fragile, um, I'm hurting, I'm on the stretcher. And our people were so good to carry us, to, to, uh, to dig through the roof, if you will, to use that biblical, you know, picture 
you know, for us and to lower us to the feet of Jesus. And they prayed for us and they worshiped for us. They had faith for us when we didn't have faith for ourselves. And so that was maybe the hardest thing for me as a pastor is to take that mask off of like, Hey, I can't run a thousand miles an hour, you know, all the time. And I can't carry everybody else's, um, you know, what they're going through. And so to be honest about that, to be humble about that, um, you know, was, was something I had to come to grips with. So hopefully that wasn't too long of an answer, but that's one that comes to mind. Yeah, that's great. So in, let's tease out that Mark two story yeah. again um, uh, of being on the stretcher. So which was more, which is more difficult for you as a pastor to be the one helping someone on the stretcher or to be helped when you were on the stretcher, which is more difficult? Well, I would say it's different now. I mean, I would say that right now with, with, you know, today it's probably harder for me to lift somebody else, you know, and, and I say that because I think you, when you go through suffering, when you go through trials, um, and, and to be in a place where you feel depleted and worn out, um, you know, to then lift somebody else is, is really, really challenging. And, you know, Henry now in, in his book, the, um, the inner voice of love uses a great metaphor and, and you are probably familiar with it, where he talks about being the master of your own castle. And he uses that, that imagery of a castle surrounded by a moat and the drawbridge and, and how, you know, for most of us who are in ministry, the drawbridge is always down, it's open, you know? And so we just give access to, to our interior life all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and he makes the point that, that most people enter the castle on their needs and not your needs. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you come through something difficult and you're healing and you're trying to, you know, just allow your soul to be restored, you know, there's times where you have to, you have to draw that, that bridge up. And so I think that part of it is harder for me now, just knowing my own capacity, my own limitations now, but prior to cancer at the beginning stages, it was, it was being carried. It's like, I don't want to be carried. I want to run. (laughs) So it was challenging to, to let other people come in and clean our house and shovel our driveway or mow our yard. And and our church was so good to us, um, in that way. And so that was difficult then where it's more difficult now, this side of it, just going through treatment and being in that recovery process. Yeah. It's really interesting, Pat, you mentioned the, the congregation and, and walking through with that. What, what has this been like for your family? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's maybe the, the hardest part um, for somebody who's facing cancer and, and sort of an unknown future is, you know, you, you think about your wife, you think about your kids. And I remember, you know, it took us a couple of days. One of my mentors told me, you know, shortly after I was diagnosed, he's a stage four throat uh, cancer survivor. And he told me, he said, um, you know, you only get one chance to tell your kids. And I... Hmm. Again, mm-hmm. that's sort of one of those things under the surface doesn't sound like encouragement. And I really, I, I sat there and thought about that. And, and his point was that, that, you know, you, you have this incredible opportunity as we're called to, to pastor our little flock or family we have this incredible opportunity to model for them what it looks like to suffer well, uh, what it looks like to trust Jesus when, when he's not behaving like we think he should. And, and so his encouragement was so timely for me and so important. And, and so I remember it, it took us two days to really my, my wife and I to decide, you know, how we were going to tell our kids. They knew something was wrong because we, you know, they, they saw us, you know, crying and, and they, you know, wondered where mom was. Um, and so they knew something was wrong. And so I remember we, we finally, after two days, we sat them down in our family room. And, and at that time, we didn't know a lot. I mean, I had to wait 15 days to see a specialist, which felt like an eternity. Wow. And so, you know, we didn't know a lot. So we didn't know what to tell them. We didn't want to tell them too much. But we felt like they they needed to know, um, 
you know, something. And so, you know, we, we sat them down and, and there were several things that I told them, I, you know, I just told them that, Hey, God is good. No matter how this turns out, um, that, that he's good, he's faithful. Um, he's going to grow, he's going to use this. He's going to grow us through this. But the third thing that I told them is I, I just, I told them to watch the church and cause I, I want our kids to not only love Jesus, but I want them to love the church. I want them to love God's people. And so I wanted them to, to pay attention to the ways that people would love us and support us and take care of them. And so it's been challenging for them, for sure. And it's been hard, you know, for, for our kids to see their dad, um, you know, go through something difficult and see them, um, you know, see me in the hospital and, and all of those things. But with that said, it's been incredibly uh, good for them to see God show up and to see God answer prayers and to see God's people come around us and to love us and to support us. And, and so it's just been a great testimony to how beautiful the church really is. And how is your health today, Pat? It's, it's good. I mean, I am in what they consider complete remission. Um, mm. You know, I have an incurable blood cancer. And so th they can't say that it's gone entirely. All they can say is that with the measuring available right now, they don't see any trace of that. It doesn't mean it's not my body somewhere. Uh, it just means that I've had an optimal response and, and there's currently no you know, trace of that. So, you know, I'm on maintenance medication, which of course has its effects. And, you know, it's uh, like I mentioned, I'm over 40 already. So I'm already, you know, have less energy, but you add chemotherapy medication onto that. And so there, there's sort of that, that weekly grind of ongoing mm. treatment to keep the cancer at bay. Mm. And so, but all in all, just, you know, we're, we're in a really good place and grateful for that. I went through two stem cell transplants um, in uh, July of 2018 and then October of 2018. And so that, that's really what drove uh, the cancer into complete remission. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, we, we pray that continues to stay in remission. Yeah. Thank um, you. Yeah. How, how do you, you've been in ministry, what, 20 years you said yeah, or over yep, 20 years. Okay. So what do you know now you wish you knew when you were first starting out as a pastor? Oh boy. You know, there's, there's so many things I, I guess that would come to my mind. I, I think probably the number one thing that comes to my mind right away is, is how much people need, um, a, a shepherd. And what I mean by that is that, that I think I went into ministry just so bent on, on the mission. And, and if you think of a shepherd with, with a stick, I, I, I think of, you know, just in my early years, um, I hope this isn't too strong of a, of an, of imagery, but just, you know, the shepherd that takes the, the stick and kind of beats the, 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 the sheep into to going after what God has for them. And, you know, and what I mean by that is I just sort of saw people as, Hey, you need to sort of clean up. you like Moses in the old Testament. Um, these are stiff neck people. Uh, and so that was sometimes my, my attitude in those early years as a youth pastor and, and I just have learned over the years that people are hurting, you know, they, they need a shepherd, uh, to care for them and, and to love them and to meet them in their suffering, their brokenness, brokenness and their struggle with sin. And I think, you know, if I could go back and redo that first year of ministry, those two years of ministry, I would be a lot more tender, a lot more compassionate, a lot more sympathetic, a lot more understanding, um, as a shepherd. And, and I would, um, want, want my younger self to go, no, people, they, they need a, a kind, gracious shepherd who will meet them and certainly challenge them, but love them, um, you know, where they're at. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's mm -hmm. one that comes to my mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So as you were going through the, you know, the, the treatment and as you were on the mat and your church was carrying you, what were some of the super practical uh, ways that you cultivated your life with God? You know, I think one of the areas that, that probably was different for me was just my prayer life. And so, you know, I, I know like probably a lot of Christians, we, we, we tend to, to pray less and we, you know, we, we do more, we, we read our Bibles and, and, you know, there's other disciplines, other spiritual disciplines, but I think the area for me that became more pronounced and more beneficial to me was, was prayer. And I found myself uh, struggling to read God's word. I mean, I would read God's word, but I, I was, I was, it was difficult for me. And so I was struck in a new way, um, with, with God's beauty. Uh, and so I remember early on in my diagnosis, uh, reading a book by, by a Catholic theologian, um, uh, by his name is John Mark Miravalli. And he wrote a book called beauty, what it is and why it matters. And it's an extraordinary book. And in, in many ways, um, as a Protestant, I was kind of oblivious to all of the dialogue, all the conversations about beauty throughout church history, you know, going back to Augustine and, you know, of course, Aquinas. And, and so, it, it allowed me to, to have a new perspective on, on delighting in God and how God uses beauty. Um, and so my, my wonder of God, my delight in God increased. And so I remember going, like one of the things I had to do every day was, you know, I'm looking out the, the front window of my house right now, but I would go out and I would, I would walk around the neighborhood. That was part of my recovery. And so the combination of reading that book and just being out in, in creation and seeing God's creation, seeing God's beauty in creation, what that did in my own heart and, and God ministered to me in, in that way that was very different than, than anything I'd, I'd experienced in the past. And so as I came back to prayer, as I came back to reading God's word, um, th there was sort of a different perspective. And so I would say that area just nourished me. It, it strengthened me that there was more wonder and awe. I saw how small I was. My suffering uh, seemed a lot smaller when I was confronted with just God's greatness and his beauty and his power. Um, and so that was a way that I felt like God was just feeding me and speaking to me and nourishing me in a new way that I had not experienced in the past. Mm -hmm. What does that look like today? What are some of those practices that keep you centered and grounded? Maybe it's exactly what you just shared, but knowing we're past maybe hopefully the most intense part of your cancer diagnosis and, and journey, um, what centers and grounds you, whether it's this morning or this week or even yeah. in the midst of a pandemic? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I, I just have noticed that that I crave silence and solitude a lot more. I crave um you know, reflection. And so, you know, there's a couple places locally that I go on a weekly basis. There, there's a church here that, that has a, a prayer garden that I'll go and just sit in and again, be outdoors when I can be in Michigan, which is a lot, um, you know, you guys know you're, you're in uh, Philadelphia. So same climate. And so we, we take advantage of those outdoor opportunities, but, but I will do, I'll, I'll pop into some area churches that, that just again, um, have spaces, um, have some sacred spaces to just be quiet and to be still and, and to encounter God's presence through, through beauty. And, and, um, and so those are ways for me, I think, again, that, that are new disciplines. And so there's not a day that goes by, or I shouldn't say there's not a day, but rarely does a day go by where, where I'm not carving out some space, either here in my home for that or going somewhere locally and just really creating more space for reflection um, in silence. I mean, if the church can offer the, the culture that we live in anything right now, it's, it's silence and solitude and reflection. I mean, we live in such a distracted, you guys know, such a distracted, busy culture. And, you know, we have a hard time paying attention for more than 30 seconds. And mm -hmm. so uh, the discipline of just slowing down 
and and connecting what we see around us with with God has been uh, just a, a very um, life giving discipline for me. And, and of course, reading the scriptures. I mean, that's something I do. Um, you know, every day I read the scriptures differently today. Hmm. And so I think that that ancient practice of, you know, what some call discovery prayer, just taking a passage and, and reading it very slowly, you know, not trying to grind through three chapters a day, but just slowly uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to just bring to the surface what I need to hear. And if that's three verses or, or a chapter, so be it. And so some of those disciplines are the same. Um, some of them are different, but some of the same disciplines, I feel like I approach them differently, you know, today. Mm-hmm. I think that's really helpful. Well, it it brings a lot of hope. Um, even seeing how sometimes when pastors are confronted with trials, whether it's a, a rough board member or you know elder meeting or uh, a diagnosis or a death in the family, um, that even in those things, it's like God can use these in really great transformative ways. I wanted to ask you. You used this line uh, earlier. We said chaos, not the classroom, is our greatest teacher. Yeah. Uh, could, could you unpack that a bit? Yeah, I, I mean, I I think what we mean by that in the book is that, you know, there's a lot that we need to learn by the lake. There, there's a lot we need to learn in the classroom. And, and certainly Jesus does that. And, and yet, you know, I think about our most transforming moments in life or my most transforming moments in life. It, it has been, I mean, I'm like you guys, I'm, I'm a learner, I'm a, I'm a book nerd, and I love that part of it. And that's how God feeds me. I mean, I'm reading books all the time. And that's another discipline I, I didn't mention, but that's something that nourishes my soul. And yet all of that gets, gets, you know, um, exposed, like what you really believe gets exposed in chaos. You know, it's one thing to read a book, uh, by CS Lewis or, you know, Henry now, whoever, and, or it's one thing to read the scriptures, but it's a whole other thing to be out in the midst of water, to be without a job, to be a, a mom and realize that, that the new life growing in you, that unborn child no longer has a heartbeat. It's, mm. it's one thing to to be on the shore and know certain things about God. It's a whole other thing to be in the midst of water, in the midst of chaos and go, okay, do I really believe those things? Now, do I really believe that God is good? Now, do I really believe that God is faithful? Now, do I really believe in a God of, of hope and, and that God is present with me? And so I think in that way, chaos really brings to the surface what we really believe and, and sort of exposes what we what we said we believed, um, but but don't really believe is, is a deep truth. And so I think in that way, so many ways, God, God does his greatest work, you know, with us, you know, when we're, we're in the midst of chaos, he, he's transforming us and refining us. Um, you know, spiritual writers talk about, you know, detachment, God, God detaches us from, you know, things that we were looking to for hope or joy or love or satisfaction. And God purifies our love for him, you know, in, in those seasons of chaos mm-hmm. and those things get unearthed, um, I think in really profound ways in chaos where in a classroom, it's easy just to take in information. Mm, yeah, Patrick, I've never thought about the idea of Jesus teaching on the shore, but the greatest lessons were in the water. Yeah. I've, I've just never thought about that that parallel there. That was fantastic uh, insight there. And so many of us preach about chaos and how God yeah. can use our struggles, and then you get to live it. And I imagine preaching that becomes that much more rich and meaningful, yeah. and you speak with greater conviction and authority when it becomes your story, uh, not just the scriptures, but m- mixing the scriptures with your story as you preach is the best kind of preaching, of course. Yeah. But uh, just in our final question here, I'm I'm curious, uh, Pat, what what would you want to say? I mean, I, I think most pastors know the cliche answer, right? They know the Christian Hallmark card of like what they're supposed to do, but I, I want you to 
think through the pastors who are listening here, those who are really struggling. It may not be a cancer diagnosis, but they're going through some rough stuff. And we all are. 2020 is just kind of a weird season, right? But but maybe there's some some extra measures of intensity that the pandemic is is different or unique for them because of what's going on in their own life, their own heart. What would you want to say to either challenge or encourage or challenge and encourage them as they think about going through a difficult time? Because I think you have the authority to speak about that in a way right now that Doug and I may not have. <laughs> and so I'm curious, what would you want to say specifically to those pastors who are really struggling? Boy, there's that. That's that's quite a question for for a closing. How much do I have an hour? <laughs> as long uh, as Michigan's not mended, or, or not. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's such a great great question. You know, it's it's funny. You know, one of the things that, that I was thinking about when you're asking the question is how much of our life is is built around distracting us from God, and and you know, even in ministry, you know, so much of our busyness can be a great distraction, and yet we're in this season right now because of the pandemic where we're really forced to go inward, like, and that's really scary for us. Um, for a lot of people that they're, they're confronted with what's really on the inside and, and you can, you can distract yourself from what's really on the inside, um, in, in many ways. Uh, and so, you know, I, I would say that, that one of the, the greatest things we can do, um, just period is, is to be able to steward our soul well, you know, for our people and to model good soul health, um, good self-care. I know that those are kind of, you know, scary words for some people, but I think we need both. We're, we're, you know, we need to take care of ourselves, um, but we also need to take care of, of our soul. And so to model that for our people, I mean, I'm no good. If Patchwink, if Patchwink um, runs on empty and, and bottoms out and burns out, like I'm no good to anybody. And so I think, especially in this season where maybe some of those distractions, some of the busyness have been pulled away, like this is an incredible opportunity for us to really pay attention to what's going on in our heart and to allow deep transformation by the spirit of God. Um, and, and so there's a lot of ways we could spend a whole hour talking about how does God bring about deep transformation, but I think just paying attention to our soul and, and allowing, um, God to do that, um, in us to make us more effective in the life of other people. I'm not an expert on suffering. Some of your listeners, you know, uh, have suffered a lot worse than I am. And we're all in some way, I mean, we're, we're, you know, our own reference point for suffering and we can never compare it and, and all of us suffer in unique ways, but suffering does have a way of, of really revealing what's inside of us, the, the, the condition of our soul. And so I would say that that's such an incredible opportunity for us that, that God does his greatest work in us, in our suffering and our weakness. And we all preach that we, we can, you know, quote, you know, second Corinthians 12. Um, but yet it's such a great invitation that when we come to God in humility and brokenness and weakness and sickness, I mean, he does a great work in our soul. And, and so to, to pursue that more than anything right now. Um, and I think it's so important for pastors that are, that are listening or leaders or anybody to do that with the help of other people. I think there's a real tendency. Um, and we see it, you guys know all the statistics, um, of pastors. I, I think there's a difference between isolating and withdrawing mm -hmm. and, and there's a, there's a time for us to withdraw, to set boundaries that are absolutely necessary for good soul care, but we should never isolate ourselves. And, mm -hmm. and so I think sometimes that looks like reaching out to another pastor. It looks like having a spiritual director. It looks like having a good counselor. Um, and, and so to help invite somebody else in that process, I think is so critical when we're talking about taking care of our soul. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Well, Pat, thank you so much for that word to pastors. I think one of the things that I've really appreciated uh, just about even just the tone of this conversation is how even in the hard stuff and even what's going on, that there is hope and that God is using all of this. But I really appreciate the way you brought in the importance of community at the end and what it is to have friends and uh, spiritual directors and counselors and people in your church and, and people outside of your church that are willing to walk with you. Um, but thank you so much for joining us, uh, man. And I wish people could, ha- could have had an opportunity to listen to the 15 minutes we had beforehand. <laughs> there was a lot of laughter and just a lot of good time, but blessings to you and your ministry. And yeah, uh, we, so pray much, that, we pray that this book just really encourages pastors where they are right now. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on guys. Hope, it, hope it's an encouragement. Again, I I just, I love how sometimes when we get on with these people that we've never met before, how there's just such this common bond. And I felt like we could have talked with, I mean, the conversation was just so rich even before we even started. And I was just so grateful for uh, just the honest and yet super hopeful way that he talked about his cancer and what that, the effects that it had on all the different areas of his life. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I, I, when, when people speak openly, honestly, vulnerably about their suffering, there's just a universal bond that you can often, you you just find yourself connecting with people because they're human. Right. And I think as pastors, again, we always talk about how it's so important to remember that pastors are people first. And I think suffering has a way of humanizing who we are, right? Mm -hmm. Everything that feels theoretical or doctrinally correct up here, then all of a sudden pushes down to say, do I really believe what I'm preaching? And it sounds like Pat, Pat talked about some of those things. Hmm. Yeah. I I think, you know, for me, as I, as I reflect on, on what he was talking about, I, I think what really resonated with me was, um, or maybe it wasn't even resonate as much as it was, was just so eye-opening was thinking about how for many of us who are in ministry, we've become so like, we know what to do when, when, when the stuff hits the fan, when things get really rough or when someone's diagnosed, we know how to be present in that with someone, but to be present in our own space, uh, it just felt like that was, it was such an eye-opening uh, conversation for me. And, and even one that I realized that I'm super uncomfortable with, like if, if that same thing happened to me, like if I was diagnosed tomorrow, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I had this conversation because I feel like it even gives me at least a little bit of a roadmap. But, but even than that, I feel like what's so encouraging is that, uh, that, that roadmap is really Jesus taking you out on the water and you know, the, what, what we learned on land was great, but now we're having a chance actually to, to, to use what we've learned and to see God from different perspectives. Yeah. And I love that he teased out, not just the, the, the passage of the book in Mark four, but also Mark two mm-hmm. with the man and his four friends. I just have always loved that story. It's one of, you know, when people say, what are some of your favorite passages to preach on. Mark two is one of my favorites. And uh, because I think it gives us unhealthy, intentional community in un, uh, healthy, intentional community, healthy, unintentional community and unhealthy, unintentional community, all within the same story. And uh, if you look at who the, the figures are in there, but I just, uh, it's so amazing to me as pastors. Yeah. We're so used to grabbing uh, a, a shovel and digging holes in the roof for other people. 
but when other people are doing that for you and he got emotional as he talked about his 11 year old son shoveling the driveway mm-hmm. and people cleaning their house and mowing their grass and, mm-hmm. you know, just receiving help. You know, I mean, Jesus talks about that when you go to a place, you know, eat what's set in front of you. Like, you know, don't take a lot for the, the journey, right? Like receive from people is a part of ministry too. And I think that's really hard for us as pastors mm-hmm. to, to receive that message, to receive that truth of Jesus. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And something else that really stuck out to me when he talked about solitude and silence and how he's craving that more in his life in this in this stage. And uh, and I've wondered about that for pastors as we get older, like as we age older, do we find ourselves craving solitude and silence more uh, than before when we were younger? Uh, because we often are aware of our limitations or is that just the noise around us is exhausting or our energy levels going down? I don't know, but I've just wondered why is it that it seems the older we get, the more that we crave solitude and silence as pastors. Again, just anecdotal uh, data. There's no hard scientific data on that, but that's just kind of a theory that I've been wondering about. And maybe with our listeners, I'd be curious. We'd love to hear from you as listeners. As you're aging older, are you finding that you're craving solitude and silence more or less or the same? Let us know. I'd be very curious. Yeah. yeah, I think you're onto something, Jr. Uh, I know for for many pastors that I've spoken with in the last few months who who are in that getting older range. I'm not even sure how to quantify that, but there just does seem to be uh, th- one of the beautiful gifts of limitation is we we stop actually relying on our own strength and power. Yeah. And I, I really think that that is that's one of the most beautiful gifts that comes in one of the most ugly packages and. Uh, but it, it just, it, it serves us well. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think one of the things that was really good for one of the things that really struck me as well is he, he mentioned this, uh, I guess someone should, you know, said to him, you have one chance to tell your kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I just thinking about that was such, such a, I, I like, I could feel that I felt that the weight of what that could be, um, and, and how hard that was even just seeing the, the tears present within the conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, praise the Lord. He's, he's in uh, complete remission right now and just really, yeah, such a, such a, such a hopeful guy, such an encouraging conversation and such a dark topic and such a hard topic and even a topic that hits close to home for you and I. Yeah, for sure. And I appreciated that when he sat down with his family, one of the things he told him was watch the church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that, that gave me uh, chills as he said that just to tell his kids, watch the church. In some ways that's, it reminds me of what Jesus said in Mark two, when he said he looked at their friends and said, you know, because of their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven, right? So it was the sense of the church, of people looking to the church, Jesus looking to, quote unquote, the church, the community of people around him, that his faith had healed him. So um, anyway, I, I just was so moved by that, um, uh, by that statement. So Doug, what are some questions that we can leave with our listeners based on the conversation with Pat? Yeah, yeah. Uh- and again, I, I I loved his imagery of being on the shore or being in the middle of the lake. And so just th- three questions. What has the Lord taught you on the shore in this season? Um, second question, what has he taught you in the middle of the lake? And then, uh, and I think another question that may cause us a little bit more time for reflection, but how have personal limitations become a gift for you in ministry and life? Mm. How about you give us a few resources, JR? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, 
two of them come to mind. He mentioned Henry Nouwen. Certainly, you and I love Henry Nouwen. That's uh, Nouwen's been referenced quite a bit on the podcast in our last several seasons. Uh, but he talked about the book, The Inner Voice of Love. And pastors, if you have not read that book, it's a very small book, but it's a very thick book. And I mean that in the sense that it it's not something you can get through very quickly. But I'm so glad that he referenced that. So The Inner Voice of Love. And then, of course, the book by, by Pat and his wife, Ruth, uh, In a Boat in the Middle of the Lake. Uh, trusting the God who meets us in the storm, in our storm. Uh, and so we'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but we really want to encourage you to pick that up. Um, Doug and I have had a chance to read that. It's a fascinating story. And um, so, um, yeah, those are the two resources. Doug, why don't you send us out today? Yeah. So brothers and sisters, uh, we're just grateful that you continue to be people who are willing to stand on the shore with Jesus and that you're brave enough to get in the boat with him. Um, As the storms come, may you continue to trust Christ. May you continue to look to him. May you continue to recognize that he is with you, that he is in control, and that he can take even the most difficult situations, lead you and guide you through them, and help you to grow in the midst of them. So may you recognize the bigness and the goodness of God, even in the midst of your storms. 